Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Well, if you're just visiting with us, we're in the middle of a message series entitled Identity Theft. And if you were here last week, um, we talked specifically about how the fact that God really truly wants to take our identities from us. That if we allow God to take our identities, that he makes our decisions for us as Holy Spirit, um, and we make wiser choices and we become more and more like Christ. And last week, um, we talked specifically about a five-second rule. You remember that? Where we said, all of us receive information. And then if we would just pause for about five seconds while we contemplate the information we're getting, and if we just pause and we get beyond self and we listen to the Holy Spirit as Christians, uh, that we would make better decisions. And we, take, we took a look at a man by the name of Saul. And Saul stood at the feet of a man named Stephen who was the first Christian martyr. And last week we unpacked that whole story. Um, But we began this message series because if you're just joining us um, all through the rest of this month, we're going to be talking about identity theft through the life of Saul, who today is going to have a transformation. And God is going to place Saul in such a position, a position that many of us find ourselves in from time to time. And in fact, some of you might find yourself in that possession position even today. To set this up, um, this yesterday, Saturday, uh, I took my son Connor. He's 10 years old, and we went out to the baseball field to practice some baseball. And uh, when we finished, I said, hey, bud, we need to go over to the store. we got to pick up a couple of things before we go home. And we went over to Sam's, and, you know, as we're in Sam's, they have this app that you could go ahead, and if you have the app, you can scan the product that you get, put it in the cart, and then you don't have to stop at the checkout line. You could just go to the door, and they scan your phone, and then they check. Yep, got it. You already paid and you're out the door. You could skip all the lines. It's awesome. So Connor and I went in and Connor's scanning it for me and we get in the the car and we go. And the most important decision that you need to make on exiting Sam is which line to get into because there's two people standing at the exit door that count all your items. And as we approach these lines, we pause because here's what was before us. You had in the left line, you had two people and two people that had big carts and the person first, about ready to walk up to the lady, she had a big mattress on her cart. And then the person behind her had a big cart and she had a a patio set, but only two items, two people. The other line had four people with regular shopping baskets with about 30 to 35 items in each basket. So we walk up. Now here's the difference though. This line, the left line with two people and two items was really far back because their items were really huge. This line was shorter because they had four sharpening carts and they were a little smaller. So Connor and I come up to the line and we're looking and Connor says, Daddy, that line is shorter. We need to go there. I go, no, 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 son. I am a professional. You have to understand, son, there's only two items, two carts. We need to go in this line. It'll be a lot quicker because, you know, 30 seconds of my life is very important. And this is one of the biggest decisions we can make on exiting exams. You need to fall in line here, son, and we're going to do this. But, Daddy, I think, no, 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 that's... We're here. We're good. So we get in the line and we're standing there. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to show my son. This is going to go really quick. It's going to be awesome. So all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, the person with the mattress is going up to the lady. Okay. She's going to take the the receipt. She didn't even have to look at it. One item. She has a receipt. Check it off. Send her out. All that was perfect until the person with the mattress looks and says, Sue, how are you? Hug, hug, hug. And I'm like, oh no. 
And so they're exchanging pleasantries. And as a good pastor that I am, I'm praying for her. God, I pray that you would make her quick. I pray that you would hurry this up. And uh, so she's talk, 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 talk. And meanwhile, now one of the ladies in the other line has moved forward. Because um, if you're a man in this room, you understand this process because you understand the race, the race to get out of the store. And so you're looking, you're like, oh, they're, they're moving ahead of us. We've got to hurry this thing up. So finally, this wonderful person finishes up with Sue and she checks her off and sends her on her way. Okay, life is back in order. We're back ahead again. So then the next person comes up. Okay, surely this will happen really quick. So the Sue takes her little thing and she grabs the receipt and she begins to do the walk around. I understand it's an expensive purchase. You need to do the walk around, but I'm thinking, Sue, come on. It's one big box. I mean, really look at the receipt. You can see it. It's a big box. I mean, let's check us off. And she walks around and then I kid you not. She says, Phil, I need you at the exit door, please. Phil. Like, what do you got to be a Phil for? It's one item. Phil, we need a code check here at the door, Phil. So I'm sitting here now, and all of a sudden, the line now has two more people have gone through. So now there's only one basket left, and there's no one behind the basket. So Connor is standing there, and Connor looks at me. and is like, Daddy, Daddy, you have a line. Now, my pride said, heck no, kid. We are going to finish this, and we're going to win, and I'm not going to go give in to this. And all of a sudden, I look. I'm like, Phil is probably right around the corner. He's going to move really quickly. God bless Phil. And Phil, if you're in the audience, love you, man. God, it's awesome. But here's Phil. Ready? <laughs> I'm like, Phil, hurry it up. Let's go, buddy. Come on. Phil didn't hurry it up. So finally, I look at Connor and say, okay, Connor, you know what, buddy? I think you're right. There's a problem here, which has caused me to make the wrong decision. So we're going to move over here and we're going to move to Daddy, I told you. No, you didn't tell me, son. I still had it right. Unforeseen circumstances were right here. So we're here and now it becomes the stress gets on because now you're looking at that and that better not win. So now the, the cart gets through and we get to the person and that and Phil is still dealing with this over here. So I'm like, okay, good. And Connor goes, yes, we made it. I'm like, yes, son, it's great. A lot of ladies in this room, yes, we men, we think this way. Yes, we're sorry. Sorry to say, we do. So all of a sudden we're standing there and the lady, I kid you not, I take my phone, I open my phone, true story, I hand her the phone and she goes, oh, I'm sorry, sir, I don't have one of those scanner thingies. You have to go to the line next to you. That's not the funny part. Because Connor and I look at the line to the left and oh no, it's not just the one person. There are six carts behind it. True story. I looked at the guy behind it as if to say, buddy, you saw that I was right in front of you. He looked at me for a brief second and he went, mm-hmm, mm-mm. So Connor and I had to go all the way in the back of this line and we had to wait all the way to the front. And of course, my son, God bless him. If you'd have just gone to the other line, you'd have found that out sooner. You could have gone back. I'm like, no, this it's wrong. It's wrong. Bottom line is, is I hate that feeling. When you don't know which is the best choice, which direction, which decision, God, which is it? And it's really, in essence, a state of limbo. And and if you're taking notes, a state of limbo means this, an uncertain period of awaiting a decision or resolution, an intermediate state or condition. And uh, a wise man once told me, Terry, in my life, when God says yes, um, it's awesome. When God says no, it's awesome. And I remember looking at him saying, well, wait a minute. When God says yes, that means it's what you want. And when God says no, it's what you want. But God says no to you. I go, how is that awesome? He goes, because what's worse than God saying no is when God doesn't necessarily say anything. And when there's a time of indecision and when you don't know which way to go. He said that place in between a yes or a no is a very, very difficult place to be. And today we're going to unpack how Saul from last week 
is going to get placed into a position where God is going to make him wait and put him in the land that I call the land between. If you have your Bible, we're going to go to Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Um, you can follow along on the screen. If you have your iPads or iPhones, you can follow along there too. If you have the Version Bible app, you can download that and you get all the notes. Um, and if you're joining us online, um, we're really, really excited that you're here, that you've joined us for Bedside Baptist Church. We're really excited that you joined us because you slept in and missed church because you didn't set your watches back. Yes, I had to do that on behalf of everybody here. And let's be honest, how many of you usually go to the 10, but you forgot to set your clocks? Nobody wants it. There's some people, there's a wife right there elbowing. I know that's you. Here we go. Acts chapter nine, verse one or two. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So last week we ended where Saul saw Stephen martyred in front of him. And that put Saul in a position where he was threatened because Stephen, the guy who was killed said, Jesus Christ is the son of God. Saul obviously didn't believe that. And this Christianity thing was spreading, so Saul went on a vengeance. I'm going to go after every single follower, Christian, follower of the way, so that I can capture them. He went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. And last week we said followers of the way were Christians. He found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Theologians will actually tell you that he didn't just go and capture Christians. Saul was a brutal murderer of Christians, that he would bring some back in chains, but there were many that he would have executed along that journey. So he was on the war path and now he's heading to Damascus and God has had enough and God is going to intervene in his life. Continuing on as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Theologians will tell you that when he was knocked down, He said, who are you, Lord? Saul didn't know that this was Jesus. Saul just knew this is something supernatural. And back during these times, when something supernatural occurred, you you typically attribute it to a God or God-like figure. And so Saul is knocked off his horse. And so he said, who are you, Lord? And all of a sudden it says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And the next words are, go, I'm gonna send you somewhere. But the place that Jesus is gonna send him is a place where some of you are sitting today. It's going to be a place, and you'll see in a second, that is very difficult for most Christians. Continuing on. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days. He did not eat, nor did he drink. Now, many of you, if you're a follower of Christ, if you believe in Jesus and you've read the Bible before, you've read this story and you know about when Saul became Paul and you know that, you know, Jesus knocked him off his horse, he was blind and became Paul. But sometimes we forget the process. And what I love about this story is the first thing, God could have done anything. God, Jesus could have looked and said, okay, Saul, I've had enough of you. Okay, right now. You need to knock it off. I'm Jesus. You kind of get that right now because I can make you blind or I can do, I can knock you off your horse. And so you need to follow me. He could have done that, but he didn't. He sent him to a place for three days, not knowing what was going to happen. He didn't even know it was going to be three days. He just sent him to a place 
blinded. Here is Saul who is in massive control of, every, of his destiny. Here is Saul who has a mission. He is a leader. He is respected. He is in charge. He is on a road. He has followers who respect all of his commands. And in one minute's notice, he is knocked off his high horse, so to speak. He is now a total dependent upon others. Blinded, being led like a child to a place that he has no idea what's going to happen. As I mentioned when we started, God moved Saul to something called the land between. There's a guy by the name of Jeff Mannion. Jeff Mannion wrote a book called The Land Between. It's kind of referencing from that. And Jeff Mannion talks about a personal story where God allowed him to be in a place of total dependence upon God for a season and it is extremely difficult to come to that place. Let me illustrate this another way. Um, years ago, about 10 and a half years ago, my wife and I went on a baby moon. And we went on a trip. And Jennifer was pregnant, and we were about to have our first child, uh, Connor. And we were going ahead, and we said, let's go over. Let's fly out, out to the West Coast. Let's kind of see some of the areas that we've never seen before. So we flew over to Las Vegas because there was a Broadway show we wanted to see. And we saw that in the night, and then we decided we were going to go ahead and take a trip all the way from Las Vegas, all the way over to Phoenix, Arizona, where we had a resort. We were going to stop at the Grand Canyon on the way because we'd never seen the Grand Canyon. Now, the thing that I didn't tell Jennifer was that the length of a drive was about 10 hours. So we go ahead and we get in the car and we go and we, we stop over at Hoover Dam and I'm thinking, great, we'll spend, you know, I'm, I'm on guy's time. Guy's time is we're on mission focus. We've got a goal. The goal is to get to Phoenix. And so these little stops, you know, Hoover Dam, yay, Hoover Dam. We're going to spend about 2.3 minutes there and get it all in. And then we're going to get back in the car and start moving. Apparently that's not realistic. And so we stopped and we spent about two hours at Hoover Dam walking all through it. It was water. It was a big brick wall. It was awesome. So we go ahead and we, if you're from Hoover Dam, I apologize. It was an awesome site. I'm just a little story embellishment. Here we go. So we get back in the car and we start driving and now we're heading toward the Grand Canyon. And we're, we're there and we got the, we got a convertible. So the top is up and it's beautiful. It's hot and then it's dusty and there's nothing. It's just desert. So we keep driving and finally Jennifer leans over and goes, how much longer? And I'm like, ah, oh, just a little bit farther because I had not told her that how long this is going to be. And we drive and we drive and we drive and we drive. It took forever. We finally get to the Grand Canyon as it's late afternoon. It's, it's the sun is getting ready to set. And so we get there and I'm panicked because we got to get to the hotel because it, it, it's late. I don't, I don't know where we're going. I don't want it to be dark. Let's, let's move. So we get out and it's kind of like, hey, look, the Grand Canyon, way to go. All right, get back in the car. Let's go. And she's just like, wait, wait, we got we to gotta take pictures. We, we haven't seen this before. And so we stop, we take pictures. There's beautiful birds. It was awesome. And so now I'm starting to panic because it's getting really late. And so finally we get back in the car and it's getting dusk. The sun's about to set and we start out towards Phoenix. So we drive all the way through. The sun sets. It's dark. We get all the way to Phoenix. It's a long day. It was about 10 to 12 hours of driving, sightseeing. I mean, we were exhausted. So finally we get out of the car and I'm too cheap to pay for valet. So we park all the way in the self parking lot. So we get out of the car and we get, we grab one of those carts and we put all of our luggage and everything on. And so then we're, we're moving up the hill, pushing it all the way to the lobby. And again, Jennifer's pregnant and we're moving everything up 12 hours, exhausted. We get into the hotel lobby. All we can think about is just getting into our room. Um, it's a beautiful resort. We had looked online. It's got golf courses. It's got a sauna. I mean, it's just going to be amazing. A great week of relaxation. We checked all the Phoenix, all the different areas and everything. We knew where we were going to go. It's going to be great. So we get into the lobby and we're about to walk 
walk to the front desk. We walk to the front desk and with a name like Scalzetti, here's what typically happens. You walk up to the front desk and says, sir, can I have your name? Scalzetti. And then they look and they go, I thought, yes, I'll spell it for you. So then I go S-C-A. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And they usually check S-C-A and then they go, um, can you spell that again? And then I usually have to go S-C-A-L-Z-I-T-T-I. So same thing, you know, I'm there and she goes, okay, Scalzetti. And so then she's typing. And then there was a moment when I knew something was wrong. Because she's like, Scalzetti. Z-I-T-T? Yes, Z-I-T. Okay. Could you hold on one second? At that point, Jennifer looks at me and goes, you did make reservations. Of course we ma- I made reservations. I mean, who do you think? I- of course I did. I'm in charge here. Made reservations. So she goes and she leaves for a little bit. Then she comes back with a manager. And I'm thinking, huh, they see what awesome people are. They're going to upgrade us. This is going to be great. Come right behind us. And she goes, hi, sir. How are you? What's your first name? Terrence. Okay, Terrence. Okay, great, great, great. Sir, did you make a reservation at this resort? Yes, I made a reservation at this resort. Yes, I did. I made a reservation at this resort. She goes, are you sure it's our resort? I'm like, I'm positive. I, I saw it online. I saw the pictures. I saw everything. It's this resort. She says, are you sure it's not one of our sister resorts? I'm like, I am positive. Okay. She goes, um, Terrence? And I said, yes. She goes, well, I have a reservation for two, Terrence and Jennifer, at the Scottsdale Resort. To which then Jennifer just kind of gives me that look. Guys, you know when that look, when you know you're in big trouble? That was that look. And I go, Scottsdale? She goes, yes. I I don't even know where Scottsdale is compared to Phoenix. Thankfully, it was only an hour away. But I'm like, no, 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 no. This was the resort we had planned. This was the place we wanted to be. This is where we wanted to go. And I said, so I'm not moving. Just fine. We'll just stay here. She goes, oh, okay. You'd like to stay with us? Yes. We're not going anywhere. I got a pregnant wife, all of our luggage. We're tired. We're staying here. Sir, we have a convention and we're all booked. That was one of the most frustrating moments because I'm standing there, nothing in me wants to go, I can't stay, and you're just in a state of limbo. What do we do? I have no idea where Scottsdale is. I don't even know what kind of resort it is. I I didn't even think I booked that resort. Thankfully, an hour from there, we drove all the way to Scottsdale. We got in the resort. It actually was a nice resort, so we were able to go. But the point is, is that we ended up in a spot we didn't want to be in and we couldn't imagine We didn't know how we got there and we didn't know what the end was going to look like. If you're taking notes, that's what the land between is. The land between is where you were and where or what God wants you to be. The land between is the land between where you were and where or what God wants you to be. There are some of you in this room that are just starting a journey with God. Now, maybe you're beginning and all of a sudden you got a new job, you got a new focus, the world is your oyster and you're beginning and you're here at the start of a destination and God is good, we're all in control, we're not wondering what's happening, we know we're here and we know we're moving and you're excited. There are some of you that are finishing a journey and you're over here at the end where you said, wow, it was a lot of work, it was a lot of difficulty, but now I see where God has taken me, I've gotten here, God is awesome, it's finished, this is great. Those are great places to be. There are a lot of you, though, however, are stuck right now in what we call the land between. You're in a place where you have no idea where God's leading you. 
You have no idea where you're going to end up. You don't know what God is doing. In fact, there are many times you're saying, God, what is going on? I can't understand this. There are times in which you look at God and say, God, this is not the deal. I didn't sign up for this. I became a Christian, but you're the genie God. I'm supposed to talk to you. You're supposed to point me in a direction and you're supposed to come through for me and you're supposed to have what I want at the end of the journey. That's how it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be stuck wandering, not knowing what's going on in life. And there's a lot of us who end up here and some of us lose our faith. Some of us, we get frustrated, we get angry. And some of us look at God and say, this is not what the Bible says. Really? First thing you need to know if you find yourself in the land between, because Saul ends up in a house blinded with no food, no water for days. He doesn't know how long it's going to be. And he is sitting there wondering what in the world is going to happen to him. What is going on, God? I'm sitting here. I need to know what's going on. Some of you feel that way. The truth of the matter is God throughout the Bible have allowed individuals, godly people to sit in the land between on purpose. Because many of us get here and we think, surely God would never do this. But all through scripture, we see stories of people who are left in the land between. You don't believe me? There's a guy by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is a prophet at a horrible time. If you ever read the book, if you ever read about Jeremiah, you read stories of how God says, Jeremiah, you need to tell the Israelites bad news. And Jeremiah has to go to people and tell him bad news, which then gets Jeremiah in trouble. In fact, at one occasion... God says to Jeremiah, you need to give him bad news. Jeremiah goes to the people and says, hey, this is what God says. They get so angry, they arrest him, they flog him, they put him in stocks in a public square where he's sitting there waiting to die. And Jeremiah, prophet of God who loves God, godly man, here's what Jeremiah says at one point in the land between. He says this, yet I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth birth. Here is a prophet of God at the land between. He gets to a point where he says, God, I don't even want to be born. I wish I wasn't even here. There's another guy by the name of Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet. And Elijah is chosen by God. And Elijah takes on prophets of a false God. He stands on a mountaintop. And all these other prophets, he makes fun of them. And he says, I'll tell you what, we'll have a competition. And whichever God shows up is the true God. Elijah wins in stunning fashion. God shows himself miraculously for Elijah. If you're Elijah, not God, you came through. Destination, this is incredible. And right after that, there is a woman who says, I want to kill Elijah. And Elijah finds himself running and back in the land between. And I want you to see what Elijah has to say when he ends up just after this, after God shows up. Watch what Elijah has to say. He says this. Then he went out alone in the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. This is a man who saw God do a miraculous sign in front of all the people, and he was victorious. And just a few moments later, he says, take my life. There's another guy that most everybody in this audience knows. And it's the greatest example of the land between you're ever going to see. And his name is Moses. And God chooses Moses to go. He, he does miracles in front of all the people to Pharaoh. He leads the Israelites through the Red Sea. If you don't know the Bible, this is the story where he leads the people across on dry ground through the Red Sea. He gets to the other side. All the people are like, yay, God, God's awesome. He's amazing. We're free. And then they start to grumble. And then they start to grumble. And then because of their grumbling, God allows those people 40 years 
between the promised land and Egypt with Moses. And Moses, who has talked to God, Moses, who God used to do miraculous signs, now looks at God while he's in the land between. And I want you to see what he says. Take a look at this. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Moses, who talked to God, who received the Ten Commandments from God, looks up to God and says, I wish you'd kill me. Jeremiah, I wish I was never been born. Elijah, kill me. Moses, kill me. These are godly, godly people in the land between, and they get to this place. If you find yourself in the land between, let me tell you, you feel just like them. In fact, these are some of the emotions you go through. You go through the blame game. Some of you right now, you're saying, God, I didn't sign up for this. It's not fair. I talked to you. I prayed about this, and I keep praying every day for this to happen, and it doesn't happen, and it's not fair, God. Where are you? Some of you, you feel like a burden. God, I took a step of faith for you. And I I risked a lot, God. And why are you allowing me to go through this? We're struggling. God, show up. Some of you have questions. God, why? Some of you begin to doubt your faith in the land between. And the worst is when you go over time, the longer you're in the land between, the more despair. And sometimes you get to the point like those men of God did where you say, God, I just want to give up. I don't even want to be here anymore. Let me tell you what the land between is. The land between is a place where you hate it, but your soul needs it. The land between for some of you right now, some of you right now are saying, see, this confirms what I feel about God. It's not fair. It's a place where you hate it, but your soul needs it. I I know what it's like to be in the land between. I've shared this story a while ago in our church. I'm going to share it because I just couldn't think of anything more perfect for this. My wife and I, and I've shared this several times, we, we struggled having children for a long time. Tried and tried and tried and tried, and we just kept getting nose and nose and nose from the doctors. And finally, we got to a place where after a lot of prayer and a lot of negativity and just a place of land between where we're crying out, God, why? God, we feel as if you're telling us that we are to have a family. We've prayed about it. We feel it. But yet every single time we go to the doctors, it's a no, it's a no, it's a no. And we can't take it anymore. And finally, I got to the place where we were going to hear from the doctor one last time. And I'll be honest, as a husband in that position, I was praying, I was doing my quiet time where I was sitting down with God and I was just reading and I was just praying and I was saying, all right, God, you know what today is. Today, a little in the afternoon, we're going to get a call from the doctor and the doctor's going to tell us whether or not we're going to have a child or not. And God, I just got to tell you, I, I, I just pray, I don't know how I'm going to take it and I don't know how much more Jennifer can take because it's just so much harder on her than it is me. And so, God, I, I don't understand this, but you, I, you really need to show up today, God. Because, I mean, we've, we've talked about this, God, and you keep telling me that we're going to have a family. Okay, we've been here. We've been patient. Now, God, you need to show up. And in the middle of this, 
It was one of those moments in my life where I felt God speak to my heart. And if you're new to Christianity, no, he didn't speak audibly to me. But in my heart of hearts, I could hear him in my heart speaking. And he looks and he says this, Terry, do you trust me? And I got to be honest, when I sat there and I heard this, I said to myself, God, I can't even believe you're asking me if I trust you. God, I have gone through so much, so much. How could you dare ask me? if I trust you. And so all of a sudden, I remember sitting there and saying, of course I trust you, God. I mean, God, this is gonna be amazing. So God, you need to show up. And then all of a sudden, a little bit later, I hear God say, Terry, do you trust me? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, do I trust you? God, of course I trust you. Now I gotta be honest, I'm angry. God, what are you talking about? God, I have sat here and Jennifer and I, we've tried to live our lives as best as we can. We've tried to be a model for other people so that they can live their lives. And you're asking me if I trust you. And this is where the blame game starts coming in. This is where all of a sudden the comparison, we compare our worst to someone else's best. God, there is a couple that is not close to you. They don't follow you. They do all the wrong things. They try one time and they're pregnant. How fair is that, God? where I'm sitting here and we're sitting here crying out to you and there's no answers for years. How dare you ask me if I trust you? Are you kidding me? I felt like God say one last time, Terry, do you trust me? It was at that moment where I just sat back because I was so angry and frustrated. And I was about to speak and then I heard God interrupt me. And here's what he said. He said, Terry, do you trust me? Even if my answer is no. And that's when I had to sit in silence. Because all that time, the only thing I could think of from a destination standpoint is that God answers was going to be yes. That God, I'm on this journey and I'm stuck in between and it's going to be a yes. And all of a sudden God pinned me down and said, Terry, do you trust me if the answer is no? And at that moment, I was ready to react like I had done before. Of course I... And I stopped. Because it's one thing to pray with your mouth. It's another thing to actually believe with your heart what you're telling God. And I could say I could trust God all day long, but I had to really think and I had to listen. And I broke down that morning in tears because the truth was I had never thought about it being a no. And after a long time of just sitting there and weeping and just saying, God, it can't be a no, it can't be a no, it can't be a no, I finally got to the place where I said, God, even if the answer is no, I trust you. And then I heard God say to me, Terry, if the answer is no, not only do you need to trust me, do you trust me enough to celebrate me? Because if you trust me, that means you know that I have the best interests at heart. It was at that moment where I just said, God, I release the decision. If I truly trust you, that means whatever you say in this land in between, whatever you say here, I've got to be okay with. That's a difficult place to get to. But that's a place that God wants every person that finds themselves in the land between to get to. It's a place of total dependence upon who God is. Not what you want, but who God is. That no matter how long it takes, no matter what happens, that you're able to look up at God and say, God, I trust you. No matter whether it's yes or no, I trust you. 
And this is the same place that Saul found himself in. I'm going to finish that story in just a second. But Saul is in a place for three days. He can't see. He's starving. He's wondering, is this the end of my life? And I want you, for those of you in the land between, I want you to see what God does to Saul. Take a look at this. So Ananias, Ananias, Jesus went and saw Ananias and told Ananias, I want you to go to Saul. Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother, Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Pay really close attention and don't miss this. Saul is in a room where he's blinded, hungry, totally dependent upon God. God shows up. He regains his sight. He gets food and nourishment. He gets a new mission that God placed that is far more important than the mission that he had. But the thing that I love is, is Saul, not only will you get all of this, but you will have my Holy Spirit, which will allow you to make better decisions because you totally depend on me. You will have not only a life, you'll have life abundantly. You think it's rough in the land between? I'm going to give you so much that you're going to be amazed. For some of you sitting in the land between, you doubt that God is ever going to show up. You doubt that he ever could give you more than you think or believe that you can get. And once you release and say, God, it's you and not me, God shows up in an incredible way. I told you that I was praying to God and as I was standing there praying that morning, I ran and grabbed Jennifer and before we started our day at work, I said, Jennifer, I just want to share this word with you because I really believe that we have to get to a place where even if it's a no, that we can trust God. And Jennifer, who many times is stronger spiritually than me, she quickly said, no, I, I agree. It'll be difficult, but I agree. We prayed and we said, God, whatever it is, we trust you. At about 12 o'clock that afternoon, I received a phone call from the doctor because they tried to get Jennifer, they couldn't reach her, and they called me. And I remember taking a deep breath. And I remember the next words out of the nurse's mouth. You're pregnant. I remember not believing her. I remember yelling at the top of my lungs. I remember the relief because what I felt in that moment was not just something that I wanted. It was the journey from the land between into an incredible journey with God. For some of you that are in the land between, you need to remember my favorite passage of scripture, which is Joshua 1.9, and it says this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There are many of you that are going through the land between and it's for one reason and one reason only because he is God and he wants you to know he's God and he wants you to depend on him that he's God. And when you're in the land between, he will teach you that he is faithful no matter what. I'm gonna pray and after I pray, I want you to sit and I want you to listen to the words of the song that our team is gonna play for you. And if you're in the land between, I want you to use it as a moment to pray, to pray in your heart. And ask God to give you the courage to continue on. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Father, for 
the memory marker that it is in my life. And God, I just pray, Father, right now for those that are struggling in the land between. I join with brothers and sisters who might not be in this place right now. And together we pray for those in the land between that you would speak to them, that they would know they can trust you. And God, that they would know that you are faithful. May you be glorified. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.